Good morning. I'm Wimala, and today is Sunday, August the 21st. Uh, we've had some rain the last few days, and it's a little overcast today, but the temperature is nice, it's pleasant. Probably have some rain later today. And today is also our friends, a very good friend of Auntie Sujata's in the temple, part of the Sangha there, uh, who died about a month ago, uh, Nancy May's memorial service is today. So I'm remembering this morning Nancy May and all of the uh, all of the years she was such a devoted member of the Sangha. So today we're going to read and have time to sit. Uh, from Sharon Salzberg's book, A Heart as Wide as the World, Stories on the Path of Loving Kindness. So I, there are really two really good, one is very short and one is longer. I'd really love to read these, so I'm gonna start, start with this. The first, it, this is from uh, early in the book, this, the first section, The Spirit of Meditation. And this, is, this essay is called Reclaiming Our Power. In the course of our lives, we too often fail to stop and recollect who we are and the consequences are painful. As Wordsworth wrote, late and soon getting and spending, we lay waste our powers. Not only in getting and spending, but in many of our actions, our energy, our own power is scattered and unavailable to us. A thought arises in the mind and we end up subsumed in a cascade of associative thinking. When we emerge, we may wonder how in the world we ended up thinking longingly about Paris when the last thing we remember is think longingly about lunch. At times, nearly every feeling we have has the possibility of overwhelming us. We might feel delighted in one minute and stricken in the next. We, want, we run after what we think is desirable and we pull back from that, from what we think is undesirable. And so, lost in the past or future, swept up in judgment or worried speculation, we move onward in a state of constant reaction. Scattering an immensity of energy into all of these distractions, we sabotage, sabotage our chance for equanimity and peace and truly lay waste our powers. Imagine gathering all that energy back into yourself so that it is available again for you to expend consciously rather than having your mind scattered here and there. When we live in the present moment, we develop concentration and are re-empowered. We know what we are thinking as we are thinking it, and we know what we are feeling as we are feeling it. We are not pulled into everything that arises in our mind. When the mind is concentrated, there is a sense of emotional balance. While not rejecting or cutting off feeling, this kind of concentration, known in Pali as Samatha, brings forth an amazing steadiness and stability of mind. In the traditional practice of concentration, 
We place the awareness on a single object, such as the inhalation, inhalation and exhalation of the breath, or the phrases of loving kindness, and we let go of everything else that passes through our mental and physical senses. There is almost a sense of cherishing the concentration object. Sometimes it is as if we are protecting it, but we never need to clutch it tightly or grimly. We simply practice with a quality of devotion. Devoted to the chosen object, <clears throat> sorry, allergies again. Devoted to the chosen subject of our concentration, we stay connected to it, gently letting go of whatever distract us, distracts us from it. Michelangelo was once asked how he could carve an elephant. He replied, I would take a large piece of stone and take away everything that was not the elephant. Developing the force of concentration is simply seeing what is not the elephant and letting it go. The art of concentration is a continual letting go. We let go of that which is inessential or distracting. We let go of a thought or a feeling, not because we are afraid of it or because we can't bear to acknowledge it as a part of our experience, but because it is unnecessary. When we are practicing concentration and a thought arises in the mind, a memory, a plan, a comparison, an inviting fantasy, we let go of it. If anger arises or self-judgment or eager anticipation, we simply let it go, calmly returning to the object of concentration. This is what is meant by renunciation Gandhi described his life's mission in just three words, renounce and enjoy. Gandhi's renunciation was a great refinement of the mind, not a terrible or bitter austerity. In the same way, throughout the practice of concentration, when we let go of distraction, our feeling tone need not be one of angry rejection. Rather, it can be an expression of our deepest motivation for freedom. We let go with the same graciousness that we might apply in offering a gift to someone. We let go as an act of generosity. Strengthening concentration, we renounce and enjoy. We renounce that, that which is inessential and relaxing into stillness, we become fully focused on the present moment. The more we are caught in reactive movements of clinging and condemning, careening towards some thoughts and feelings and away from others, the more we suffer. Distracted from fully experiencing our lives, we lay waste our powers. The practice of concentration is a potent method of freeing ourselves from the entanglements and limitations of this kind of instability. And so with heartfelt, devo heartfelt devotion to our deepest intention, 
we find ourselves letting go over and over again. And I just love this as a, a definition of renunciation. It's just letting go. It's just letting go of what isn't important. The things we need, we don't need anymore. The, the feelings we don't need, the thoughts we don't need, the judgment we don't need. And letting it go is an, is an act of generosity. So it's really wonderful. Uh, let's, I can read a little bit more. Let me try to see if we can do this story. Happy to concentrate. This is the one that just follows in the book. When I first started practicing meditation, I assumed that it took a great deal of laborious, grim effort to tame the mind and develop concentration. In my first meditation retreat, I became so frustrated with the persistent wanderings of my attention that in a frenzy, I declared to myself that the next time my attention wandered, I would start to bang my head against the wall. Fortunately, the lunch bell rang just then. Standing in the lunch line, I overheard a conversation between two students. I, between two students, I did not know. One of them was asking the other how his morning had gone. The other man replied with apparent great lightness of spirit. I couldn't really concentrate strongly, but this afternoon may well be better. I turned around in great shock and regarded him with disbelief. Why isn't he as upset as I am, I wondered. Doesn't he take this stuff seriously at all? This was my first meeting with Joseph Goldstein. Five and a half years later, along with Jack Cornfield and many committed friends, we would be the founders of the Insight Meditation Society. By that time, I had come to understand what lay behind Joseph's lighthearted statements. As my practice evolved, I learned that the conditions required for concentration to develop were far from the kind of tormented struggle I had engaged in. In Buddhist psychology, every wholesome quality of mind, of mind has what is called approximate cause. This is the condition or the basis that most easily and readily gives rise to a particular quality. For example, the proximate cause of metta or loving kindness is seeing the goodness in someone. So metta most easily arises when we can see the good in someone. I had expected the proximate cause of con con concentration to be something like intense zeal or valiant struggle. Instead, much to my surprise, according to the Buddhist teachings, the proximate cause of concentration is happiness. As I had realized, straining to keep the mind on an object does not create the condition for concentration to most readily arise. However, when the mind is at ease, serene and happy, we can more easily and naturally concentrate. Happiness in this sense does not mean the fleeting experience of pleasure which inherently contains a great anxiety 
Oh, I'm sorry, it's, I missed a word, so let me read the sentence again. Happiness in this sense does not mean the fleeting experience of pleasure, which inherently contains a quiet anxiety based on knowing that the moment will pass, that it's impermanent. The kind of happiness that is the proximate cause of concentration is a state of tranquility in which our hearts are calm, open, and confident. This is the fertile ground for the growth of concentration. How, but how do we arrive at this state of happiness? To some degree, we arrive there by having a correct perspective, the perspective Joseph was evincing in that lunch line so many years ago. There are always what we perceive as ups and downs in practice. Meditation is a cyclical process that defies analysis, but demands acceptance. As my practice developed, I found that the ability to accept and allow for changing experience was connected to my degree of self-respect. When my sense of self-respect was strong, I could go through difficult periods without being so disheartened. Difficulties did not reflect a lack of self-worth to me. And I could go through difficult periods without trying to get a death grip on them for fear they would change and leave me feeling badly about myself. For me, self-respect definitely seemed a key component in maintaining the happiness that in turn helped give rise to concentration. And it became clear that my level of self-respect was rooted in how I behaved during the rest of my life when I was not sitting on the meditation cushion. I found this truth not only in my practice, but in the classical Buddhist teachings as well. These teachings are often presented in a casual sequence, which shows how one state of mind help, helps create the conditions for the arising of the next. In the Vasudhimagga, The Path of Purification, a famous commentarial work of the Theravada, tradi Theravada tradition, happiness takes its place in a logical unfolding that leads from morality to ultimate liberation. The text opens by telling us that morality is considered the foundation for the development of restraint. In Buddhism, morality does not mean a forced or puritanical abiding by rules. Morality means living with intentions, with intentions that reflect our love and compassion for ourselves as well as others. As the philosopher George Santana said, Morality is the desire to lessen suffering in the world. When we live in harmony with the innate truth of our interdependence, we want to refrain from doing harmful acts. This, listen, this leads to the next mental condition of restraint. Restraint is the foundation for the development of the absence of remorse. When we restrain a momentary impulse to do a harmful act, we are able to see the impermanence and transparency of the desire that initially arose. Having avoided harmful action, 
We also avoid the guilt, fear of discovery, and the confusion and regret that come when we forget that what we do has consequences. The positive, I'll keep wanting to stop and I keep seeing more. I'm going to stop after this next sentence. The positive condition that results from restraint is called gladdening. Like we gladden our hearts. So gladdening is a foundation for the development of happiness. Now I'm going to stop here because I want us to have time to practice. This is so beautiful. I love this. So I'm going to hear the last two sentences. The positive condition that results from restraint is called gladdening. Absence of remorse is a foundation for the development of gladdening. So the more we care for ourselves and for others, the more this condition is being developed, the condition of gladdening is developed. The absence of remorse. So it's that lightness of heart. So that's a good place to stop. This is a longer essay, so I would like to start and read this next time we're together. So we, we have about 10 minutes to uh, sit. So let's uh, let me begin while we're while you sit to begin meditation. Just be in your meditation posture. Let your body be relaxed. Let your spine be lifted up. I'm going to read my wish and we can just begin our practice with that. May I become at times both now and forever a protector for those who need protection, a guide for those who have lost their way, a ship for those with an ocean to cross, a sanctuary for those in danger, a lamp for those without light, a place of refuge for those who lack shelter, and a servant to all in need. By means of this meritorious deed, May I never join with the unwise, only the wise, until the time I attain awakening. Just be aware of the body breathing. Be aware of your breath either around your nostrils just let your attention focus in this area where the breath is leaving the body and as it comes back in the new breath comes back in or you can be aware of the belly rising and falling Let that be your anchor, just coming back to the breath over and over.
And let's just be in the stillness. This tranquility of the heart. condition we need for true happiness. aware of a feeling of tranquility in your body, in your mind.
as we end our practice. We can set our own intentions and sit in sin merit. May everything we do and think and say today be done not only for our own benefit and self-love, but also for the benefit and love of all other beings everywhere throughout the universe. And may we all find tranquility and the happiness of tranquility. So thank you this morning and uh, have a beautiful day beginning of the week.